0: Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts,
1: Tyler and Charlie.
0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. As you guys know, I'm Tyler, and back with me after probably a week or two away from the show, is my coach, Charlie. Curtis had some law school business to attend to today, so Charlie was kind enough to step in at the very last second and make this show happen. So thank you, Charlie, for joining us today. We appreciate it. You're
1: welcome. I'm honored as always.
0: Although I might end up regretting this, because if I remember correctly, I know it's been like a week or two. I feel like I got roasted by you the last time you were on the show.
1: I don't know. Isn't that a normal occurrence?
0: I mean, it kind of is, but usually it's behind closed doors, not out there. We don't air our dirty laundry like that, so yeah, I don't know. Ah. I might, I don't know, I don't know. We'll see Maybe I'll be nicer today. Uh, I certainly hope so, because I'm a sensitive person, alright? I can't handle these kind of things.
1: Nobody cares about your feelings.
0: Oh my god, there we go. Fine, whatever. Anyway, and today's show is the February mailback edition of the podcast, uh, with the late signing period, coaching hires, very recent coaching hires, uh, the basketball, baseball seasons all happening in February. You guys sent in a plenty of questions on a variety of topics for us to uh, do our best to dig through today. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's go ahead and get to it. Charlie, take it away. What do you got for me today?
1: All right, we have a... Questions on a variety of different topics today, so I tried to sort I them. I did just say that. I know. I was going to say like Tyler just said. Okay, but
0: fine. I, I tried I, to bad. sort
1: them the best that I could. We are going to start with a couple of questions on the most recent news surrounding the football program, which is the hire of former Alabama strength and conditioning coach Scott Cochran to an on-field coaching position so starting off is cliff thanks for your question cliff
0: always appreciate it he says
1: what specific skills does scott cochran bring to the table as a special teams coach that give you confidence he is a great fit He said kirby smart wouldn't have hired him for the position if he didn't think cochran would be great at it
0: all right it's a great question cliff now in terms (laughs) of his specific skill set as a special teams coach i don't know if he really has a ton of experience and there's you hear different things out there there's there's some sources that say he's kind of been working behind the scenes with special teams at Alabama. Some other sources say he has no experience whatsoever. What I can tell you is that uh, hearing from people that I, that I trust here in Athens, that he's uh, already on the road visiting with other programs, uh, trying to get up to speed on what teams are doing with special teams. So uh, I, regardless of, of whether he had a little bit of experience at Alabama or not, he doesn't have extensive experience coaching special teams, but I don't necessarily think That is uh, really a major issue because, as I said on the show last, uh, I guess the last show earlier in the week, look, you don't have to be an X's and O's guru to be a good special teams coach. That's not really so much what that's about. Uh, There is certainly some schematic aspect to it, but not near as extensive as you would see with an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. Uh, To me, a a special teams coordinator, like, that's the – it's all, to me, it's more about, instead of X's and O's, it's more about execution and effort more than schemes. And when you're talking about special teams. And if there's anything that Scott Cochran can do, is it's get guys to run through a brick wall for him. I mean, that's what this guy does. Um, special teams... C- Coordinators, they need to be able to get their guys to play with their hair on fire. Uh, they need to bring energy, get guys to play with great effort. That's a huge part of it. And that's what Scott Cochran does extraordinarily well. So, again, I don't know if he necessarily has the expertise from an X to O's perspective, a technical perspective, but I think that's a, I don't think that's as much of a concern for me. What I will say about Scott Cochran, kind of just to reiterate what we talked about earlier in the week, maybe add a little bit to it. What excites me most about this hire, the more and more I think about it, and I, I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier in the week. But uh, I'm really excited about this guy because when you listen to people talk about him, when you read what people have to say about him, whether it's guys that have coached with him, whether it's guys that he's coached for, whether it's former players, whoever it is, this guy, the one thing you commonly hear is that essentially I would just term him like a professional relationship builder. That's what this guy is. And you—and some people might not think that's that big of a deal. Like, who cares? I mean, I don't care if you can build a relationship, but You're about it's about coaching. But guys, like building relationships at the college level – I mean, that's such an essential component of working with the modern player and helping those guys reach their potential. You, you simply cannot discount how important that is. You, you just can't. Uh, and from what I understand, kind of listening to some different sources throughout the week, listening to, to different people on the radio, podcasts, whatever, it seems like from what I've been able to piece together without kind of being behind the scenes, without following Alabama as closely as I follow Georgia, obviously, it seems like he was very much the good cop, kind of like the tyrannical character that Nick Saban plays. And I think that he can fill the same role here in Athens with Kirby Smart, especially considering how close he and Kirby are, how close their families are. Although I will say Kirby is very different from Saban and how he builds his relationships with his players. He's not the tyrant that that Saban is. <laughs> now Kirby has he has some of that in him. He can be downright demanding at times, and he can go off. Don't get me wrong, he can. I've seen it. Uh, but he is certainly different in in how he handles his players compared to how Nick Saban goes about that. But but bringing a guy in like like Scott Cochran, who can build relationships with players like he can. It's just so important, so critical to building and also just enhancing a program's culture. I think we have a good culture here at Georgia. Kirby wants to address that, and he wants to improve it even more. And I I certainly think that's something that factored in to bring in Scott Cochran. I think that's something he can certainly help us with. You heard Kirby after the Sugar Bowl kind of make some comments to that effect. And I think Cochran is a guy that can can help us in a big way there. And he's another thing that excites me about Cochran coming on board in terms of like the skill set he brings. It's just that he's so... I don't know if this is a skill set, but it's just a reality. He's so closely aligned with Kirby Smart in terms of how those guys operate. Uh, They're both grinders. They both bring energy to the table. They both are very demanding. But at the same time, they also know how to demand and love their players at the same time. Both guys are just very simply master relationship builders. So I think that's certainly factors in the equation and bringing him on board because what it is that's a recipe for a very seamless transition and he's a guy on staff that Kirby can kind of lean on and and another thing here and I know I mentioned this but just to re-emphasize this because I think this is so important is that I think Scott Cochran personally is going to be a monster recruiter which is almost a prerequisite to be on Kirby's staff. And one of the things that, that's going to help him become, he, just the way he builds relationships, number one, it's going to make him a great recruiter, but also the ties that he has in Louisiana as a guy who uh, went to LSU, lived in, uh, lived in Louisiana as a, as a young man, has relationships in that state. So I, I think what we may lose potentially in South Florida with a guy like James Coley moving on to Texas A&M, which is possible, I think that might be a little overstated. I think we've gotten to the point where our brand recruits nationally, but it's nice to have a guy like Coley with his, with his connections in South South Florida. So whatever we may lose there, we stand to gain in Louisiana with the ties that Scott Cochran has to that state. But the bottom line is, and I'll kind of end with this talking about Cochran, I always say, I've said this before on this show, there are essentially, as far as I see it, there are three basic components to building a winner in college football. Number one, you have to acquire the talent. It's about acquisition. Then you have to develop the talent, right? Development. And then you have to deploy the talent, which is more at like the exit and O's, how you actually use the talent you have on hand, which maybe we didn't do such a great job of last year, at least offensively. But I think Cochrane is gonna be a tremendous asset for us in those first two areas the acquisition of talent and the development of the talent. He's gonna help us acquire morally talent. Uh, than we ever, I mean, well, I'm not saying than we ever have. We've been recruiting at a high level, but he's going to help us recruit at an even higher level, in my opinion, which is a prerequisite to winning national titles. And he's also going to help us tremendously in developing and maximizing that talent with how he builds relationships with players, keeps them on the team, because there's a uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people have been talking about how he was kind of behind the scenes helping uh, save and keep some guys on the on the team. They're thinking about transferring, entering entering the portal nowadays, helping them with things off the field, which. Don't get me wrong, guys. That have, you have to understand that absolutely can impact how you play on the field. And I've kind of heard some people downplay that. I've heard some people like, like for instance, that hack, Dan Wolkin, suggest that this hire doesn't make sense because why would we want to bring a guy in for recruiting because Georgia already recruits so well? Why does it matter if we bring in Scott Cochran? Why does it matter? Scott Cochran helping us land one or two more, even if it's just one or two more elite five-star five star type guys every cycle, that absolutely could be the difference between us like uh, playing in the sugar bowl. Winning the national title. Like you don't for example, guys, you don't you don't think that landing Devontae Smith, who by the way was committed to us at one point, the wide receiver at L- or at Alabama, landing him or Jerry Judy back in 2017? You don't think just having one of those guys could completely change the game for us last year on offense and help us potentially get in the college world playoffs? I think you'd be kidding yourself if you said no. So imagine if we landed just one of those guys and we were in it for Judy for a while too. Like you don't think we would have won a national title or two if we could have landed Deshaun Watson back in the day? You don't think we could have? Uh, we have plenty of five-star guys on the roster but one more guy Deshaun Watson could have been the difference do you think Clemson would have played the last two national title games and won one of them if they didn't if if they hadn't beat us out for Trevor Lawrence a couple years back you really think that Chase Bryce was going to get them there no, he wasn't. Absolutely not. That one player, Trevor Lawrence, with all the five stars that Clemson has, I got plenty of them. That one player, Trevor Lawrence, made all the difference. But the other guys at the quarterback position on that team, they weren't getting there if it wasn't for that one guy. So, heck, yeah, I think the potential recruiting benefit from the Scott Cochran hire alone makes this a home run hire, in my opinion. So, I know it's a little long-winded, but I'm excited about Scott Cochran and wanted to... Throw that out there. It
1: was a very in-depth answer. Perhaps the deepest dive you've ever taken to answer a single question. Really?
0: And I take deep dives. I know I'm long-winded at times.
1: Perhaps looking at your notes, I believe that page it took at least a page for those notes. For those to be notes, up no. There. No,
0: not a page. Uh, like two it's, sentences. it's good.
1: That's what the listeners like to hear. You know. Anyways, another so. Scott Cochran-related question from Jamie. says, do you think Kirby had a conversation with Munkin and asked him if he wanted to coach the quarterbacks as well as being the offensive coordinator? If Munkin said yes, that would have freed up the 10th assistant spot allowing for the hiring of Scott Cochran.
0: Yeah, Jamie, a great question. I, I think absolutely. I think that question and that topic was almost certainly broached because, guys, Kirby's playing chess, man. Like, Kirby's playing chess. Everybody else playing checkers out there. I shouldn't say everybody else, but most other – coaches out there playing checkers kirby's getting this done um because you have to be crazy to think that this whole scott cochran hire came about in like a week or two No, this thing has been in the works there's been discussion behind closed doors I, i wasn't aware of it but you can't say anything that scott cochran just woke up you know Three or four days ago, I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to Georgia." Uh, no, this is you know, it wasn't like Kirby just approached him last week. Like, no, that didn't happen. These guys are friends; they talk. Kirby knows that his desire to get into the to the on field coaching position and uh, eventually try to work his way up to be a head coach, and you got to start on the field somewhere. So Kirby obviously understands what he brings to the table. They've been talking about this a lot behind closed doors, and I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't something has been going on. At least they've been discussing. It's kind of been ruminating for uh, a couple months or so. I wouldn't be shocked if like the the seed was planted at some point a couple months ago. So I think when Kirby. He was hunting for an offensive coordinator talking to Todd Munkin I think he certainly at least somewhere in, his, in the back of his mind whether he's offered the job or not to, to Cochran I don't know but I certainly think he had to w- at least be thinking about Scott Cochran with what was going on with uh, James Cole, him understand that he was going to try to move on there and potentially open up another co- on-field coaching job um, so to, and I'm sure he also had to understand that, that when Sam Pittman left that, that Scott Fountain leaving was a possibility so all of that I mean Kirby, Kirby's seeing the whole field guys trust me on that uh, so I, yeah, I think that he certainly broached that topic. I'm not sure it was set in stone at the outset when uh, Munkin was hired that he would for sure be the quarterbacks coach. But I do believe Kirby at least inquired, I imagine, as to whether or not Munkin would be comfortable doing that. And uh, obviously, it ended up working out that way. I, I, and we didn't know, like you know, Curtis and I were talking about, you know, when this, the Munkin hire first went down, we bring in Buster Faulkner that potentially you know we could be bringing in. Uh, buster to be the quarterback's coach while monkey might be kind of the offensive overseer obviously we were on there and kirby had different plans in mind i'm actually much happier with these plans i've been fine with buster but uh much more excited about the way things are going down but to answer your question jamie yes i think you are correct
1: all right you are going to love the next group of questions because even though it's the off season some people send in some x's and o's questions just for you Jamie has the first question and asks, "Do you think Kirby will finally let go of his hold on the offense?" And I saw this question on Twitter, and your response was, um, "Prayer hands." Is
0: that what those are? That motion of prayer hands? Yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's kind of how I feel about it. Yes, he needs to Kirby as talented of a coach as he is in so many areas. Um, micromanaging the offense is, is certainly not one of the skills he brings to the table. At least it hasn't worked out that way through his first couple years here in Athens. But to answer your question, Jamie, uh, yeah, man, I, I I do. I do. I well, At least I want to hope. I, I'm praying. And I think that's going to be the case. I know we haven't seen any evidence of that over the course of his first four seasons. But I really think, I mean, maybe this is wishful thinking, but I I think, I feel, and this is also based on obviously how he handled the James Coley situation. We do have some evidence there. Because him and Coley were tight, too, and, and he moved on from Coley. And uh, at the very least, demoted him, and Coley did the rest and left himself, um, which Kirby probably, saw, I'm sure, saw coming. So other than that, no, we haven't seen much evidence of, of that, but I, I think that 2019 was the necessary shock to the system to wake Kirby up to the fact that the status quo on offense just was not going to cut it moving forward. I, I think it really was that shock to the system. I think he came to realize that he wasted a championship defense due to a Just, I mean, let's be real. It's a very stubborn devotion to an offensive style that, and then I've talked about this before. I'm not going to say that off that style can't work ever, that no one can ever win a title with that. I've probably won an SEC title with it and almost won a national title with it. So I'm not saying it can't work, but what I will say is it just simply reduces your margin for error. and, And the stubborn adherence to that pro style offense that we've been running, it just doesn't, like it keeps you from taking advantage of the recent evolutions in offensive football. So you just stand a step behind, And uh, so I I think he's finally starting to realize that when he, I mean, all you have to do is look at the college football playoffs and see the teams that are in there and what kind of offenses they run year in, year out, other than us really, uh, to get the understanding that, yeah, maybe we need to make some changes offensively. And I know really Kirby's, the impetus behind Kirby wanting to run that style was that it paired naturally with his defense, which is his baby. You know, he, he's still a defensive guy. He thinks you can win with defense, which I I still think you can. You have to have a great defense. But um, yeah, obviously, he felt that having off a ball control ish type of offense like that, the pro, more pro style attack, would keep the defense off the field, allow them rest, allow them all the stay effective, all those kind of things. So I think now he's starting to realize that maybe that's just not necessarily the most effective strategy. He's going to sacrifice maybe a little bit on the defensive side of the ball for us to be more dynamic offensively and, and really stress opposing defenses.
1: All right. Next up, Ghost Dog 3. Ask: Can you explain how Munkin's spread running game differs from our current system, and how you see the RPO system changing?
0: Oh, Ghost Dog, three bless you, my friend. What a what a great question. Yes, I could spend an entire show on this. In fact, I'm planning on spending an entire show in the future here as we get past after spring uh, spring practice. Once we get a little bit of a dead period, more of a dead period than we are in right now, uh, kind of just breaking down what we can expect offensively from Todd Munkin. Uh, but we'll sort of give you a little taste of that right now. Um, one thing I'll say in terms of like how our running game might differ, and this could also impact your passing game as well, but at least at his college stops, what I've seen from, from Todd Munkin at this point in his career, going back and looking at Oklahoma State and Southern Miss especially, he's made great use of 20 personnel. And if you guys aren't familiar with that, and then most of you guys are, that means two backs, zero tight ends. So basically, whether it's 12 personnel, 20 personnel, 21 personnel, 22 personnel, whatever, you got five skill players to work with, right? So you've got whether it's receivers, tight ends, running backs. You got five guys to work with out there. And so if you've got two running backs, zero tight ends, that means you have three receivers out there. If you have two running backs, one tight end, so twenty-one personnel, that means you got two receivers to work with, uh, which is like I guess the old traditional I formation back when I was a kid. You got know, fullback running, tailback, tight end, two receivers. Old school, old school pro style offense. That'd be 21 personnel, but 20 personnel. We got two running backs in the backfield and no tight end, along with three receivers spread in the field out there. So I've he's you made great use of that in the past. Now that was a couple years ago when he was in the college game. But I, I certainly would not be shocked to see some more of that with those multiple back looks where you could have maybe a guy like Zamir White and James Cook in the field on the field at the same time doing some different things, whether it's the running game. And, you, and he's gotten very creative, especially when he was at Oklahoma State, watching some things he was able to do with two tailbacks in the back for the same time. Like We've, do, we've done that at times here at Georgia, especially when we had Nick and Sony, but we didn't do it near as extensively as I thought that we could have and should have. We weren't near as creative with it as I think we potentially could have with some of the running back talent that we've had this year. I think we could have done a much better job with that last year. We did it, a couple of times, but sparingly. And when we went to those that 20 look or 21 look with two tailbacks in the backfield, the shotgun look, we ran basically one play out of it. What we would do is we would send James Cook in motion and, and out of the backfield and just throw a little uh, quick screen to him out of the backfield and try to let him make make something happen. That's essentially all we did with those looks. But I've seen Taubung get very creative with that, whether it's motions, misdirections, RPOs with, with, with those looks. So that's something I... I Think that we'll see more of this year. Again, I don't know because he's been out of the college game for a little while, but I can imagine based on his history that we can see some of that. But really, what it's all about when you talk about spread offenses, it's it's all about putting the defense in conflict to where they just simply cannot be right if you read and execute properly, uh, as opposed to like what we've been doing in the past, which is arrogantly saying that our guys are bigger than yours. And we're just going to run over you. Like, that's kind of been our MO. Like, we're going to run the zone blocking game where we're just going to push your guys around and you're just going to run over and through you. That's what we're going to do. And I really don't think we did our offensive line any favors with that very rudimentary, really almost exclusive zone rushing attack last season. So yeah, I think you will see us stress defenses and put them in conflict in ways we have not seen in Athens, at least in, recent past, in the recent past. Um, and there's multiple ways to do that if you want some specifics. If you go back and look at what he's done, it can be something as basic and simple as the zone read, uh, which now with a mobile quarterback, a guy that has true dual threat abilities and Jamie Newman, if he does end up winning the job. But even if it's Carson Beck, I mean, he has some dual threat abilities, maybe not to the degree of Jamie Newman, but he's, he can run a little bit, certainly more mobile than, than Fromm ever was. So some even just some basic zone read stuff, that's putting defense defenders in conflict. You put, whether it's the backside in, it could be a linebacker depending on how they're playing, it could be a, a playside tackle, it could be all sorts of different guys. But putting them in conflict where they had to make a decision and you read based off that and you react accordingly. Uh, It could also be motions that allow you to out-leverage defenders. If you go back again and watch them from Oklahoma State and Southern Miss, Munkins' offenses are uh, very effective in how they utilize motions to get defenders out of position, to put them in conflict. Uh, misdirection. He's also been a master in the run game using misdirection, and that's when you have two running backs in the backfield at the same time. You can really get creative in how you use misdirection and uh, let out leverage defenders, put them in conflict, get them out of position, get their minds swimming when they don't know what's going on. All those kind of things, have them blow assignments, and of course you can use RPOs, which is like the, the new wave stuff with the spread offense. Um, and I, I would love to see us do all those things. Like it would really be next level if we were able to combine all of those things. Uh, like Lincoln Riley does, for instance, at Oklahoma, which is what I think really makes him the preeminent offensive mastermind in the game today. Like one of the things I, and I mentioned this play before, but just the to watch the evolution of what I, what we call the GT power at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. GT is the guard tackle power where he pulls the guard and the tackle and runs a power play out of that, which is kind of a kick out, kick out the the the, the, the end, and then you have one guy lead through, which is true old school, like, pro style power but he does not have spread sets he also he'll utilize motion like for instance he would put a hollywood brown a couple years ago put him in motion have him fly out on like a jet jet motion and then you still running the one way you have the guard and tackle pulling the other way and the quarterback is just reading What and you know kyler murray was just reading he'd sit there and read uh the defenders out there and it could be different defenders depending on the 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 scheme they were in, the packages that they were in. But when you've got Hollywood Brown, his speed, in motion one direction, guard and tackle pulling back the other way, and you've got Kyler Murray just reading the defense, reading the linebackers. If they go after Hollywood Brown in that motion, then he hands the ball off. You've got these huge linemen pulling through, and you've got space there because the linebackers have cleared out to cover Hollywood Brown. But if they stay home and they want to play the run, we have got Hollywood Brown running out there wide open in space, and that guy's got crazy speed. And uh, you just flip the ball out to him, RPO touchdown. I mean, that's as good as it gets man it's just insane stuff that's just one example of what you can do with leverage with misdirection RPOs motions reading all that kind of stuff and, it, and he he like weaponized even further with Kyler Murray even more so than he did with Baker Mayfield because of Murray's ability to run the football so he also threw in like a quarterback run element in there as well which was just completely nasty I mean just disgusting stuff man incredible like almost impossible stuff really just truly is unless you get pressure on they just make a mistake Um, So hopefully we're able to kind of incorporate all of those things. I don't know if we can expect that in year one, but eventually I would love to get there because we could be flat out nasty with some of the skill players we have if we just start doing some of these things that other offenses are doing around the country.
1: Next up, Ellis asks, do you see a conservative approach offensively week one against Virginia or do you think they will let it rip out of the gate?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think we have to get in the mindset, guys, that we uh, we are not running a pro style offense anymore. We might some pro style elements at times, but we're not going to run a pro style offense. It's not the offense that we've seen the past couple of years. So this idea of just being conservative to be conservative, like that's our game plan because we want to get out get out there with a win. Don't want to make any mistakes. Want to play good defense. I don't. I obviously we still want to play good defense, but I don't know if that's the approach that we're taking anymore. I don't think that's why you bring a guy like Todd Munkin into the game. And I get what you're saying, Ellis. I get the idea, like, hey, it's the first game of the year. We want to hold some stuff back for uh, teams that will play in the future. And, and every team does that to to some degree, but I think that's a little bit overstated. Uh, I think teams go out there and they wanna do, they're going to do what they have to do to win. Now, obviously, if you can win with your base stuff, then sure, that's great. You can do that. Uh, but I think we're going to come out and let it rip in that game for a couple of reasons. Now, number one, I, I, I do think that we are better than Virginia. I do think that. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. And we are playing in our own backyard in Atlanta with a major home field advantage. So we should win this football game. But I, I, I will say, like, let's respect Virginia a little bit here. This is a legit solid program. And you at least over the past couple of years. They were down for a long time. Brockham Minahall comes in from BYU and he's brought them back to like a legitimate solid level. And, and you just can't take any chances. And I know that Virginia is gonna lose quite a bit from last year's team, but they still, especially offensively, but they do still return some good players on defense, and, and they're gonna have a full offseason to focus on this one game. And they're going to come out with absolutely nothing to lose. Of course they are. And, and Bronco Mendenhall, again, it's just a, he's a very good coach. I have a lot of respect for Bronco Mendenhall. What he's done at Virginia, where that program was when he took over, it's been nothing short of, of miraculous, honestly, and in a short amount of time. He's done an incredible job. He's a really good coach. Uh, I, I don't think that we're necessarily going to empty the playbook. I don't think we're going to have to. But you just—you come into every game, especially one on primetime, on Labor Day night, where the only, only team on, only two teams on, you're playing a power five opponent, I think you have to be ready and willing to do what you have to do to win. So I imagine, sure, we're going to come out with our base stuff early, see how effective that is, and then kind of take it from there just as necessary. But I don't think we're going to come into that game banking on just taking this conservative approach. I think we're going to be ready to do whatever it takes to win. And if that ends up being conservative because we don't have to do much to win, then, then great, so be it. But I still have some respect for Virginia. They have some good players on that defense, and I think they're going to be ready to play, and we're going to have to come out and then do what it takes to win.
1: We all know recruiting never sleeps in the world of college football, and with the dead period about to expire for the spring evaluation period, we have a handful of recruiting questions to cover. Let's go,
0: love some recruiting talk.
1: First question is from G. He says, although it is very early,
0: it is early. Are,
1: who are our priority targets that you would love to have for the 2021 class? I can't believe we're talking about the 2021 class. I feel like well, really it's 2021. I feel really. And old. you were born
0: in 1957. Yes, something
1: well, like that. Yeah, that's about how my.
0: That's how you. That's your demigeneral. Yeah, that's yes. yeah. That's your spirit mm-hmm. animal. Was born in 1941. Yeah, that's I think. True anyway uh, yeah it is really early G it is early in the class and so I'm right now actually in the process of I've watched some of the top names obviously for for a couple months here but I'm in the process of kind of going through each position that's kind of my process is I I take one position and I kind of go through the targets that we're we're heavily involved with the guys that we're recruiting right now it's hard to tell because we're still kind of in the valuation stage we're about to go into like like Charlie said about to go into the uh, spring evaluation period here shortly so we'll learn more about who we're kind of targeting and who's kind of feeling us as the uh, as the, the spring goes on. But uh, I kind of take each position and kind of just go through and, and watch as many guys as I can and kind of get a feel for who I think are the top guys and the guys that I really want us to go after. And, and so I'm in, I'm in the middle of that process. I've gone to every single position. But uh, there's some guys that have kind of stood out to me uh, over the past month or so. Number one, running back from Virginia, Travion Henderson. His junior tape just came out, I think, maybe a, a week or so ago. And, oh, my God, like, who? This guy is a flat-out baller. I mean, he is the total package. Um, just electric, dynamic, incredible speed, great short area quickness, elusive in open space, great acceleration and burst, runs with solid power. Not the biggest guy in the world, but runs with good solid power for a guy that size. Got some versatility with his game, can catch a ball in the backfield. I mean, I am extraordinarily high. Once I saw that film, I fell in love with this guy. So I want him now, I, I, right now. Uh, So for sure, Trayvon Henderson, running back from Virginia. There's a number of different running backs as well. I'm going to do a full show. We'll kind of rating how how we feel where these running backs and, and really all these guys at different positions fit in so we're out of that series coming up in a, in a month or so and maybe after spring practice so that's coming but Trayvon Henderson right now he's certainly got guy that I'm watching at the running back position I don't know if we'll get him but um be great he's awesome uh Barrett Carter talking about a local guy here from uh not too far from Athens Gwinnett County North Gwinnett High School is just a an awesome awesome inside linebacker and after taking nobody no inside linebackers the, uh, uh, last year or in the last class of 2020 class like that's going to be a, a priority position for us we need you get some talented guys to come in and be maybe backups to guys like quay walker nicobe dean uh in their first year and be ready to take over right after that and certainly be in the rotation almost immediately and i think barrett carter can be a guy like that he's explosive fast instinctive versatile just a really really good linebacker i'm um, really high on that guy and i think we do stand in pretty good shape with him on the offensive line Amarius Mins from blackley county uh this guy's he's awesome man like he's he's that next kind of like broderick jones left tackle type prospect He's apparently close with Brock Vandegrift and talked about wanting to play with him in the past. So I think we stand in a pretty good position with him as well. But he's a guy that I love to get on board sooner rather than later. Look uh, at another guy on the defensive side of the ball to kind of go with Barrett Carter. James William, a safety from down in South Florida. And I guess we're calling him a safety, but the dude's 6'5, almost 220 pounds. He's a huge dude, but he moves so well for that size. Now, there's talk about, I mean, with the frame, he could potentially move to inside or even outside linebacker eventually. If Kind of like an Alec Ogletree-type guy, potentially. But he plays that position very well. It's not like he's a step-slow or anything at that size. I and mean, he moves incredibly well, long, big, physical, all those. I mean, he's uh, essentially a top-ten player nationally right now. Uh, freakish guy. Really would love to get him on board. Uh, on, also in the secondary, Tony Grimes is a guy that I'd be really, 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 really happy if we were able to land. I think he's another guy that I think... We look really good to land. He's a cornerback, um, maybe not quite as long and physical as James Williams, but has great athleticism, good ball ball skills. Can play corner, can play safety for us. He's a guy that I'd love to get on board. Um, the offensive skill positions. We all know how much help we need on the at uh, the offensive skill position. Still, even with the the receiver class we brought in last year with some big time players. Uh, but uh, I, had, I don't know exactly how to say this guy's first name at this point. I'm trying to. I'm waiting to hear somebody actually pronounce it. So uh, I'm taking a shot at guy? Hall, we'll go with that, A-G-I-Y-E, a guy-E Hall. That's what I'm going to go with right now until I hear otherwise. And Mario Williams, at wide receiver. Now, Hall, um, he's a he's a bigger dude, a bigger, longer target with great speed. Mario Williams is a, is a shorter type, maybe a, a smaller package type guy, 5'10", about 175, 180 pounds, somewhere around there but he is flat-out electric with the ball in his hands. He looks bigger than what he's listed at when you watch. look at his tape, but he's electric with the ball in his hands, has strong hands, uh, incredible speed, breakaway tight speed. Hall, I think, is a total package as well. I mean, he's got maybe not quite as good speed as Williams, but... but I'd say plus speed and in a bigger frame, so those guys look awesome. And then tight end out in Napa, in California, uh, Brock Bowers seems to be the, the number one target for us right now. And uh, watching his tape, he is a he's an athletic dude. Maybe not quite as athletic as a guy like. I don't want to say, oh, well, Darnell Washington. I mean, Washington is obviously a different dude because he's got a bigger frame, but not maybe not quite as athletic as a guy like Eric Gilbert from this last class and I'm going to LSU, but a bigger body as well, a guy that I think can be more of a true inline tight end and also spread out and do some different things for us. And by the way, he like plays running back for his team at times too, and he, he does it very, very, very well. And also plays like dual-threat quarterback at times, so he's got some athleticism to his game as well. So uh, there are some names for you. We'll obviously be covering a lot more of that uh, as the offseason wears on.
1: Okay. Next up, the question is from Jesse. Who are the pass rushers you are looking for us to sign in the twenty twenty one class?
0: Yeah. So that's a great question, Jesse. And I'm still in the process right now of actually, actually. that's the the position group I'm on right now is breaking down the outside linebackers. But some of the guys that I've seen some of to this point uh, that I really like. Um, the, one of the first guys, honestly, and he's not ready to play right now. Like, he cannot come into Athens right now and be a contributor. He's just under, he's he's got to add some weight. But uh, Xavier Carter from Hateville Charter here in the Atlanta area. He's undersized, only 195 pounds right now, but he's got a six foot four frame. So, but he's he is he's an in-state guy with a with the frame to grow into, and he has elite athleticism off the edge. Uh, he's number 167 nationally right now in the 247 composite. I think and I think that's probably about right because he is a little undersized, only 195 to 200 pounds. But I think he's got the frame to easily get to 220, 225 pretty quickly and i don't and not lose much athleticism i mean he is flat out explosive off the edge kind of in some ways reminds me of adam anderson to, in, in a lot of ways with the explosiveness also maybe being a little bit undersized but man he is a freaking he is even if he's not an every down t- kind of guy he's not a standard down outside linebacker he is going he's a guy that could certainly find a role on our defense with how we rotate guys in and out uh, another guy that's maybe more of a prototypical outside linebacker at least in terms of his size is a guy named dallas turner from st thomas aquinas which by the way is the same high school a very prominent high school in south florida same high school we got marcus Roseme from uh in this 2020 class but uh, turner at 6'4 235 he's a bigger body more in line with the guy like maybe aziz Ojalari, but still a really good athlete rushing off the edge maybe even like a step better of an athlete than Aziz, maybe, and not quite as good as Nolan. I, 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 yeah, that's kind of where I'd put his athleticism, kind of like between Aziz and Nolan. So, not quite Nolan Smith level, who's a freak athlete. He runs like almost a 4 5 flat, essentially, in that frame. Uh, but I really like what we've seen, what I've seen from Dallas Turner to this point. So that's a name to watch. We have some relationships there with the coaching staff at St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, Quentin Somerville is a guy out of Arizona. I don't know how interested we are. I don't know how interested he is in us. I'm sure we're interested in him because he's a really good player. Another guy kind of in the, in the vein of, a, of Dallas Turner. Bigger body that can that can uh, could potentially play a five-tech. But also has really good athleticism. I can see him as an outside linebacker, especially on standard downs, playing against the run. And then Terrence Lewis from the state of Florida. Uh, he is uh, – he's – He's freaky, man, in his athleticism. I mean, but he's, I'm not sure he's listed as an outside linebacker. But when I turn on the tape, I'm like, Dude, you don't look like an outside linebacker. You don't really play outside linebacker. I mean, he's 6'1, about 200 pounds. He's, to me, more of an inside linebacker, but he is highly athletic, a dynamic player, a dynamic athlete on that side of the ball. Um, he might end up at Florida. I hope not. But uh, certainly, we're going to we're gonna make a run at him for sure. Uh, but again, I'm not sure he's going to be a true outside linebacker in our scheme. But he's certainly a guy, he's listed as an outside linebacker. He's a guy that we could certainly kind of like Xavier Carter, find a way to use. So there's a couple names. I'll certainly update you guys on that as I get into more of these uh, outside linebacking prospects over the next couple of weeks.
1: Okay. The last recruiting question comes from Aaron. He says, I know you have been asked about which prospect from the 2020 class you were most excited about, but which player in the class do you think will have the most significant impact on the 2020 season?
0: That's a good question. Yeah, so I think I said Jalen Carter. I'm, uh, I Yeah, that's the guy I'm most excited about because I, I, mean, I think he's – the missing piece of defensive puzzle that truly elite three tight defensive tackle that we have not had so i am super excited about him i I think it could be Jalen carter if we have some injuries up front and whatnot but uh, we have veterans in that spot with guys like julian rochester coming back jordan davis well he plays more of nose guard than anything uh wyatt we and trayvon walker we have some some guys they're not just some bodies they have some like really talented players there and some veterans, so I don't know if there's the opportunities to be there as much for Jalen Carter to get a ton of playing time to say that to the level that he can. We can say that he's gonna have the most impactful season of all the true freshmen coming in next year. I think he'll probably play some. I wouldn't be shocked at all. I think actually expect that, but. I don't know how we rotate, obviously, but I don't know if he's going to be the most impactful freshman year one just because of not as much of an opportunity. So I think you have to look at need and opportunity for playing time if you're going to, when answering this question. So I think it could be a guy like Broderick Jones uh, at left tackle. If he wins that job, that job will be open. It sounds like now what we're hearing is that Jamari Salyer is, is still getting some looks at right tackle, but we're actually going to be open to the idea of giving him a look at left tackle in spring practice and maybe looking at what Xavier Truss and McClendon can do at right tackle. Um We'll see how that works because Salier's not quite as long as some of these other guys, but neither was Isaiah Wynn, you have to say that, and uh, he's actually a little bit bigger than Isaiah Wynn, I think maybe a little bit more athletic than Isaiah Wynn, so I'm interested to see how that plays out, but that, that job, there's some opportunity there for sure for a guy like Broderick Jones, I just don't know if he's going to win it as a true freshman, especially left tackle, but he could come in and be a right tackle, I wouldn't be shocked if he started all year, that would be very impactful, but uh, if I had to put odds on it right now, i said say the odds are, that it's either going to be one of the wide receivers or Darnell Washington at tight end that's going to have the most impact from the 2020 class, at least in year one, because we just need so much help there. Yes, we have George Pickens, but like right now with Blaylock coming off the ACL, we still haven't seen D-Rob take the next step yet. Kiaris Jackson's a nice piece, but he's not not a, a Robin to... George Pickens' Batman. I don't see that right now. Matt Landers, I mean, he's got the potential, but he certainly hasn't done it yet. We don't really we have in Tommy Bush. So I think one of those wide receivers is going to need to step up. And uh, I don't know who it's going to be, but it could be Darnell Washington. I know we bring in Trey McKinney from FSU. He's a factor in the tight end equation, but we don't have much, like really hardly any experience at all to speak of outside of him. So Darnell could certainly come in. He could start right away, potentially, or at the very least be a big part of the offense. But I'm probably going to lean towards one of the wide receivers. And if I had to pick one wide receiver, I don't know, man. I probably wouldn't have said this a couple months ago, but the more I watch him looking at some of his senior tape and just listening to some people that I trust uh, kind of here in Athens around the program just who have known a little bit about what's kind of going on behind the scenes since he's been here as an early enrollee, I think i might actually go with Justin Robinson here because he's here in the spring. He's a big physical body. can go up and win the deep ball. No, he's not quite as a dynamic of an athlete, maybe as a Jermaine Burton, but he's big physical, got really good speed. He was underused uh, at Eagles Landing in high school. But uh, I think he's a guy getting a head start during spring practice, and with his skill set, his size, I, and the kind of size that listens in combo, I think this guy could be a sleeper in this class and could potentially have a huge impact for us. Now that's me taking a shot there, It's kind of stabbing in the dark. But uh, I'll be able to tell you a lot more after spring practice. But I, I just think remember that name, Justin Robinson. I think he's gonna, gonna he's gonna be a player for us. Got a feeling about him.
1: Okay, we're gonna wrap things up with an assortment of questions that don't really fit in any of the other categories. So I left them together for you to tackle here at the end. Right, there are so- three more, and the first one's from Darren. Says there are rumors floating around that Greg McGarity could be retiring this summer. His house is for sale.
0: Yes, that's kind of like, an, like not even an open secret. it's just like everyone knows it now. Yeah. It's like his house is for sale. It's common, commonly known. That is a true statement. Yes.
1: Have you heard anything about that, and do you think this would be a good or a bad thing for UGA?
0: Yeah, um, here in Athens, like the idea that Greg McGarity might be retiring soon—that's not that's not really a secret. Um, there's been talk about that for a while. And I know uh, after the board meeting at the athletic association a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was I think there was some articles written about that. Uh, Jerry Moorehead saying that he really would love to have Greg Moorehead back, but are Greg, Greg McGarity back? Uh, McGarity saying he'll reevaluate when the time comes and all that kind of thing. We'll have those conversations uh but like if living here in Athens like we've just there's been some talk for a couple months now maybe more probably more than that That this might be it for McGarrity and I don't have any inside information I don't know for sure if that's gonna happen but what I can tell you is that his contract does expire on June 30th as Charlie just said uh, his house is up for sale with the either the greatest Georgia man cave ever or the tackiest I've ever seen in my life if you haven't seen the pictures put up on Zillow you can I don't know, I can't remember the address right now but um it's and I love I I, I basically all I wear outside of work is Georgia stuff so who am I to say these things because like, people probably think the same thing about me but Charlie you have to admit right Like, well
1: he has Georgia carpet in his that's, apartment that,
0: that's what it is yeah. and I was
1: driving down Atlanta highway and there's that flooring store out there and they that's what they have like by the street is like the Georgia carpet is that, is that where he
0: got it okay I mean
1: that's I mean like, everything that else is
0: fine like, the red and black trim and paint no, that, that's fine I can handle that that's cool it's a man cave you're a Georgia guy I get it's it it's a little much but like the the, the, the carpet it, it's like it's, not, it's like tacky-looking Georgia carpet. It's no, not just I mean,
1: it is what it is. It is what it
0: is. But like, and who am I to say? And I'm, and I'm sorry if I'm insulting. I'm surprised
1: you didn't beg your wife to have Georgia carpet in your house.
0: That's just a, like – and that's weird. Like, no, where do you draw the line? Because, again, all I ever wear is Georgia stuff. That's literally all I wear. I have a Georgia tattoo on my wrist. I mean, like, I, I know. I get that. People think, like, I'm insane. Like, it's it, – I get it. But, like, even I don't know if I would go that far. And, like, when you look at it, it's kind of like, that's a little much, man. It's a the little much.
1: Listeners – this is how you know all he wears is Georgia stuff. When his niece was two or three...
0: Oh, my God. Yes, I do.
1: They asked what his name is because they only call him Uncle, and her response was Georgia.
0: Uncle Georgia. Yeah. That is a true story. Yeah. So, I don't know exactly how to feel about that, but, hey, it is what it is. So, I get it. And I'm sorry if I'm insulting anyone who has that Georgia carpet. I, I apologize. It's not... Maybe attacking is not the right word. It's just I don't know if I would go with it. But, anyway, that's the Great McGarity House. Um, and it's just like, man... The whole house, it's, but hey, everybody does their own thing. Uh, anyway, so yes, his house is up for sale. Um, he's also 65 years old, so he's reaching that retirement age. He's actually there. Um, and, and what I'm hearing around town is that at least there's rumblings that it's looking more and more likely that he is going to step away uh, when his contract does expire on June 30th. We don't know that for sure. I don't know. I, no one has told me that for sure. It's kind of just like some things that you hear around town a little bit. And look, I in terms of would it be a good or bad thing for us, uh, look, I, I've been critical of Greg McGarrity at times. Actually, that's putting it lightly. I've been very critical of Greg McGarrity, especially way before the Kirby Smart hire. Um, and for a couple of reasons. I got, man, oh, God... Uh, yeah, probably need to do a whole other show about the reasons I've been critical of Greg McGarity But I mean, look, I thought he bumbled the whole Todd Gurley fiasco in 2014, uh, and to a lesser degree, the AJ, AJ Green suspension in 2010. I thought he tried to placate the SEC in the NCAA rather than stonewalling them and fighting for what's good for the University of Georgia. Like basically every other athletic director does in the SEC, like when the NCAA does call, they just say, We're not, we're climbing up, we're not saying anything. But no, we think that like, for some reason, if we cooperate with you, that we are going to get some sort of relief in the punishment. And that just doesn't happen. The Institute doesn't do that. If you, if you admit it, you're done. So just just don't. Just don't do it. Look at look what North Carolina did. Uh, they got nothing for on an entire fake degree program. But no, we just go and do whatever. And I know you can say, well, you got to have integrity. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I mean, I don't see it. Don't, I don't see the issue with, with I know this is going to hold whole nother thing, but with Green selling his jersey and Todd Gurley signing some autographs. What like who cares? Ridiculous. He didn't I just don't think he felt I don't felt like, I don't feel like he fought hard enough there. I think he let Mark Fox hang around far too long to the point that Tom Crean has been left with just a roster almost completely depleted of talent. Uh, I always felt he was completely reactive rather than proactive almost almost as a as a rule, especially on the football side until Kirby arrived. I mean think about it. I mean he cut Mark Rick off at the knees. Regardless of what you think about, think about Mark Rick, he did not get the support he needed from Greg McGarity financially. He just was cut off by the at the knees. Um, the support the support staff he needed the, the indoor practice facility, stadium, locker rooms, all of those things that Kirby has now gotten, but Rick didn't get those. Maybe it was Rick's fault for not pushing hard enough, but whatever, he didn't get it. Uh, we also lost, and Charlie, this should be important to you. We lost the Insubly. Tennis oh. tournament, which yeah, is like an Athens, like it's like a tradition. That's what we. That's what we always had it. I mean, Every
1: the- college tennis player wants the. NCAA tournament yeah. to be in Athens.
0: Like it's crazy. Even college, even like the coach at USC was quoted like, like, yeah, this is a shame. Like, how can this happen? Like, college Athens is college tennis, and we lose it, and we lose it. And I, I fully blame Greg McGarity for that. Like, I, I fully blame him because he allowed our facilities to fall behind. I know you guys out there, most of you do not care. I care, and it pissed me off. I'm still angry about it because I had to go to freaking Orlando to watch the the tennis national championship last year. I have to go to to Stillwater, Oklahoma this year. Not happy about it. He needs to be in Athens. That's what College dance is about. Um, and in terms of national titles, he's only won national titles in women's swimming and diving and equestrian during his during his time here as the athletic director. Uh, he made, in my opinion, what looks to be a bad hire by promoting Joni Taylor uh, on the women's basketball side of things. She's made two tournaments. In, she's, she's not going to make it this year, so it'll be two tournaments in five years after Andy Landers made it 20 straight years, including 19 Sweet 16s, 10 Elite 8s, Five Final Fours, two National Title game appearances in his 34 years as coach. When they had a, the women's uh, NCAA tournament, uh, so that's ridiculous. Our once mighty and proud gym dogs, Charlie, you used to be a gymnast once upon a time. Yes. growing up, like being a gym dog was like the thing to do, right? Still is. Well, uh, maybe in the state of George, but nationally, we fall off the radar. Yeah, like we fall off the radar and on, on the funny. national, it's it's ridiculous. Like we're we're an, I don't want to say an afterthought nationally, but like in some ways, kind of. Like We're maybe third or fourth best in, in the SEC right now, just in the SEC, and and he's overseen that. Um, but he, he did hire Kirby Smart, got to give him credit there. Now, we're, uh, now how much input he actually had in that, whether he was the one that made the hire or was it boosters or who people above his pay grade, I don't know, but like he had at least something to do with that, I would say. Um, and to his credit, he's also finally opened up the purse strings, uh, and I think Kirby Smart had a... Had a has had a big part in that, but I guess McGarry has had to do that, so we need to give him some credit there. We also have not been in any major NCAA trouble under his watch, so you gotta factor that in as well. He's done things with integrity. He has been a good steward of our program in, in, in that in that way, and the dude loves Georgia, and, and I can appreciate that. I, I do sincerely appreciate that, but in terms of like, could, is this good or bad for us? I think it depends on who we hire, but look, I think it's, I think ultimately it up being good for us because we have a chance because like you can almost bring in anybody to do what Greg McGarrity has done honestly right mm-hmm. like you really could you bring in somebody Kirby Smart's driving the ship in football and, and it seems like McGarrity's just one of them writing the checks yeah I know he goes out and meets with donors that kind of stuff and that's an important part of the job you can find guys that can do that but he hasn't been a dynamic athlete he hasn't been a guy that's pushing the envelope we haven't seen that he's been solid caretaker ish I guess um, but we have a chance now to go out and hire a dynamic, forward-thinking, proactive athletic director who can take our entire athletic program to the next level. And that's one of the issues I have with Greg McGarity. I think our enti- like football has been really good. We're like in the heyday of, of Georgia football right now, the golden age. I think he does deserves some credit for that. But there, uh, our entire athletic program it hasn't been great under McGarity. It really hasn't. Some of these programs have kind of dropped off. And like under McGarity's tenure, we've only been top 10 in the Director's Cup twice twice in his, what, 10 or 11 years as our, as our athletic director. So that, to me, that's just not getting the job done from a holistic perspective when you look at our entire athletic uh, program. So I would say uh, I would lean more towards it being – I don't think he was in, – in my final analysis, I don't think he was the worst athletic director, but I certainly think that we could do better and have a more dynamic guy that could uh, take us to the next level as an entire athletic program.
1: Okay. Next up, Wade asks, Now that the baseball team has played two full series – what is your assessment of the strengths and weaknesses of this team?
0: It's a good question. Uh, so yeah, I was out, actually out there last week. I took in the, the doubleheader, the twelve inning game, and on Saturday. And uh, I like what I see. Like, and look, we haven't played great competition. Although I think uh, I think the Broncos are pretty good. I think Santa Clara was pretty good last week. They did beat Stanford uh, coming into that. That series. But anyway, um, we haven't played great competition. You have to say that. So I haven't seen any glaring weaknesses. I just have to say that. Now I, I think the depth in the bullpen, we have a lot of arms, but how good are they going to be? Like Ryan Webb has been a stud for us so far. He's been really good. Justin Glover is really good. They've got two really good guys in the bullpen. But we also blew the lead in the fourth game at Santa Clara. Bullpen came in and just blew it. But C.J. Smith had a really good start, and the bullpen blew it late in that game. And so that was – and I mentioned that on the, on the baseball preview show. If you haven't listened to that, you can go check that out still uh, from a couple weeks ago. But uh, that was one of my concerns was, there was the bullpen in general. And uh, I think we have a couple guys I, that I trust on the back end, like who is going to be our closer. Like we've used Tucker Bradley, I wish I did not see come guy who hadn't thrown since his freshman year. He's an outfielder, of course, our best hitter right now. And uh, kind of like Aaron Shung, he's come in and, and he's been closing some games out. He's getting some work in the, in the, uh, the ninth inning. But he's not like an overpowering kind of guy. He's not as good as Shunk, in my opinion, was. So I have some concerns there. But I don't see any glaring weaknesses. I really don't. I think starting pitching has the potential to be dominant. I thought that coming in, and it's been kind of confirmed. Emerson Hancock had a little bit of a rough start his first start against Richmond. But he was lights out on Friday night last week against Santa Clara. I uh, got, got a chance to see Cole Wilcox pitch up close and personal on Saturday. Gave him he got he, he pitched really really well. He uh, hung a couple balls, um, got him high in the zone, and again uh, I think two home runs in that game. But other than that, he pitched really really well. I got the no decision, but uh, pitched well enough to win that game. CJ Smith pitched really well on on Sunday on Saturday as well. So our guy, should take that back. He pitched Sunday. So I think we have the potential to be really dominant in our starting, uh, our, our rotation. We got great speed. We don't. I don't know if we have that one dominant power hitter, but we have a lot of guys now that are hitting the ball. Actually, our power numbers we're on. At least through two weeks, on track to outproduce what he even did last year. So, even with losing guys like Aaron Chung and LJ Talley, I think we'll be okay there. Uh, Garrett Blaylock hasn't hit for a high average right now, but coming in as a Juco guy, who was formerly, uh, I guess he started at Vanderbilt. Uh, he's got, I think he's got four or five home runs right now. He's got some great power putting from that third base spot. Tucker Bradley has been a baller coming back from uh, the shoulder injury last year. He's hitting about 500. Got five, I think he's four or five home runs. Got a walk off home run on Saturday in that first game of the doubleheader. Uh, the guy's just on fire right now. Uh, just killing the ball. So uh, I I think we have good depth. I think we have all the pieces to be really good and mean contention to be a national seed again. we we'll get back to me on this one in terms of the weaknesses. That will certainly come as we play better competition. We have Tech this weekend. We maybe see a little bit more about that. But uh, I like this team. I think it's going to be a, a fun season for Georgia baseball.
1: All right. Last question of this episode. Scott asks, all in all, the basketball team has taken a small step forward this year, but we all hope the team would have progressed more with Anthony Edwards on the team. What does the team need to do to make an, take an even bigger step forward next year and actually contend to be in the NCAA tournament?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Thanks, Scott. Um, this team is getting better. It's still frustrating to watch as we blew yet, yet another lead against South Carolina, not, not a 20-point lead, but we had that game and we blew it late. I uh, missed a couple free throws in overtime, which uh, that was very painful. And there was some horrible officiating, but the team's fighting. They're getting better. They're buying in, but there are some issues. So answering like the question about moving forward, like how can we get better to take that next step? I think we have taken, I like, still been frustrated. We've taken a, at least a little bit of a step this year. I agree with you there, Scott, but to get to that next level and kind of contend to be in the NCAA tournament next year, I think to answer that question, you got to think about what are the issues? What are the issues with this team that we need to address? And to me, it's a couple things. Number one, shooting. All right, we are a terrible, terrible shooting team outside of Anthony Edwards, and he's up and down at times. We are 321st nationally in three-point shooting percentage, with just a hair over 30. Like we're almost right at 30 percent from three-point line. 321st nationally. That's not going to get it done. What 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 happens is when you have a situation like that, when no one outside of Edwards can shoot. We always start. I always hear people say, you know, and I say, I've said this too. Hey, Antman needs to take the ball to the rim a little bit more. He's a little bit more aggressive, stop settling for these three point shots. But when the entire defense is packed in at the rim, essentially, to take that away so he cannot do that because they don't have any respect for anyone else shooting the ball from the perimeter, it makes it a lot tougher because we simply do not have anyone that can shoot outside of me in the air. I know people say, and I love Tyreek. I love Tyreek. I, Ty- I was so happy for him. With that game winner against Vanderbilt, I mean, God, he does—he just deserved that. He's such a great kid. He's worked so hard. He loves Georgia, but man, he's just not near as good of a shooter as people have always made him out to be. He's just not. I've said that many times. So we got to go out and find shooters. Number one, got to find shooters. We got to recruit them. Got to develop them. I don't know, I don't even know if they're on the roster right now. I mean, I, Ray Sean Hammonds is a solid three-point shooter. Um, we've seen Tamani Kamara hit a couple, but dear God, he just doesn't hit him consistently. Mike Pique, I think, has hit one all year. Fagan's certainly not a three-point shooter. Uh, Severe Wheeler's improved a little bit as the season's gone on from that from distance, but like he's just a wide-open spot shooter at, at best. Like He's not going to be able to hit anything off the dribble. We don't have guys like that right now, and um, we're going to have to recruit him. so that's something that's got to improve. Uh, we need size, too. Like Right now, we're playing a guy at 6'8", a guy at 6'9", at the 4 and 5. I know that's kind of the the new age thing where you want to go with positionless basketball, but Te- bigger teams like we saw with South Carolina last night they destroy us in the paint I mean Carolina just m- flat out murdered us in the paint I mean they had what 50 like something plus points in the paint we had no answer we just couldn't and we, Kamara fouls out Hammond's in some foul trouble and that could have been the difference there so we've got to get bigger uh and, and just we've got to improve defensively now this is something that I think comes with time we have so much young so many young guys and uh, but we're 248th nationally in opponent field goal percentage, 291st in opponent points per game. Again, guys, we scored 90 points yesterday. 90 points, and we lost. When you score 90 points in college basketball, you should never lose basketball games. You've got to be better than that defensively. It's the same story against Alabama. We almost scored 100. They might actually have scored 100 points that game, or right, like 98 or something that game. But somehow we lost that game. I know both those games are overtime. but when you're scoring that many points, you can't lose. You can't lose basketball games. You simply can't in the college game. We've got to improve defensively. I think that comes with time. Um, I don't know if that's a recruiting thing. It's just these guys. And they're still they're just lost, whether it's man, zone. They just get lost. Like terrible in transition. Um, but, yeah, to me, it's shooting in size. we got to go get those two things. And if we can, even without Edwards next year, I think we'll have a shot to be, um, to be better, be in the tournament. I don't know if I'm ready to say that. It depends on who those guys are. I need to see it first. But uh, I think those are the two things we have to go out and attack in recruiting right now. But um, all right, guys, that does it, right, Charlie? That's it? That's it. All right, guys, that's it for us today here on the Glory UJ podcast. If you didn't get your question in time, feel free to send them at any time. We'll get to those. On our next mailbag, we'll try to do this at least once a month, if not more. depends on how many questions you guys send in. So, anytime you got a question, send it on in. You can hit us up at Twitter, on Twitter, at GloryUJ. You can also, also email us those questions. And that address is GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. So, thanks for listening. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Let's go, dogs, beat the holy crap out of Georgia Tech this weekend. Let's sweep them. Uh, also, if you're in the Athens area or anywhere close, we got a great weekend of tennis that we're opening uh, the brand new dan mcgill tennis complex the grandstand all that i guess it technically opened up on tuesday at 2 30 when no one was there it's
1: gonna be very cold it's
0: gonna be very cold well it's gonna be like in the 50s but we got the men have two top 10 opponents coming in we've got tennessee on friday at 2 30 which i know is tough to get to i'm actually mad about that i'm gonna to try to get there somehow some way somehow i have my ways and then <laughs> we'll see um and uh then we have number three ohio state coming to town on Sun Sunday at two, the women also are in town against Tennessee at noon on Saturday. So make it out, support our tennis program, guys. The new facility is amazing; it's gorgeous. So uh, come out, have some fun. It's totally free. But um, hope everyone has a great weekend. Whatever you do, for Charlie and Tyler, and as always, go dogs.